the rest of you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're, in a sense, going back over the same passage uh, this week, and we'll do it again next week, uh, just because uh, Paul has built here this bridge of grace that's taking us to, to understand what Christ has done for us and how it applies to us on a, at, a, at a personal level, at a daily level, and it's all about the grace of God at work in our, in our lives. Without that grace, we have nothing, and yet how do we live in it? How do we walk in it? What do we do? And uh, I want to focus this morning on uh, the equippers of grace from, from the passage, looking at these equippers of grace that God has given as gifts to the church. We're talking about apostles, prophets, missionaries, pastors, and teachers. And, uh, of course, when you do that, of course, you have to... A lot of people think of their relationship to their pastor as, um, if they interact with them, anything you do or say can be used against you in a sermon, right? I mean, that's the whole point of my interactions with you, is to try to get more illustrations. Uh, no. But, uh, but that's just part of kind of the challenge here of thinking about what, what are these equippers of grace? What do they do? And I want to kind of explore that this morning. Um, I had one, one more, but I guess it didn't pop up. Uh, okay, so let's look at the passage this morning and just understand this grace of God given to us. Let's start again in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, where it says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on a high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Again, Paul is talking about this grace to the church. And, and sometimes we think maybe, especially as Iowans or maybe Midwesterners, kind of this, this, this Iowa or Minnesota nice, they call it, right? Like, we just want to be nice to people. We want people to be nice to us. And, our, and in some ways, our idea of heaven is just everyone being nice to each other, right? Um, and, and so sometimes when we think of church, we just think of a club of people that are trying to be nice to each other. And if everyone would just come to church and be nice to each other, then the world would be a better place. And I'm sure it would be. <laughs> but that is not what God is doing in the church. God is bringing people from different backgrounds and different nationalities and different, uh, with different baggage and different issues in their lives and bringing them together into, into one group of people his body, this place that he wants to live amongst. And the only way that body can grow and thrive is not just by being nice to each other, but by experiencing grace together, 
Because once you bring people from different backgrounds and different issues, different, different hang-ups together, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have issues that pop up. You're going to have miscommunication that happens. And nice won't cover all of those things, but grace does. And so we live in grace. We walk in grace and he wants us to, to experience that grace together. And he has given as gifts to the church different people to equip the church in grace, to help them to experience that grace together. And the first thing that I would like to point out is that they are people. This isn't, there's other places where gifts of the Spirit are mentioned that it's about the functions that they perform or the activities that they do or the impact that they have on others. But in this particular case, the gifts to the church are not functions as much as they are people. He says apostles, prophets, missionaries, pastors and teachers. He doesn't say the gift of preaching is a gift to the church, or the gift of apostleship is a gift to the church, although they are. But in this case, he's talking about the people that are involved. And that means that he's talking about real people with limitations, with personal challenges themselves, that, that have to go through and experience grace themselves. And one of the things that Paul does in talking about his ministry and when he talks to Timothy about being a pastor, he says up front, you are, you need to be, here's what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Talking about being a pastor, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is all about grace. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust a faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then he goes right into it. He says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. One of the key ways that you, you know you need grace and that you experience grace is through suffering. It's, it's, it's a part of life, but again, we like to put suffering down just like we like to put mean people and kind of just in, the, in a little corner that, that, that never occurs, right? Or like I can avoid as much as possible. But in life, God... God gives the gift of suffering, not just so that we suffer, but so that we can experience grace. We can know his grace in our lives. And these people that God has gifted to the church are going to experience suffering in order that they might experience grace and equip the church with grace. You can read it if you read through 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, both where Paul has to, in some senses, defend his ministry. In both books, he, he goes on a long list of the suffering he has been through. Not as a point of bragging, but of saying, I know grace. I know what takes you through the suffering. I know what gives you strength in the midst of suffering. I know what helps you, give, gives you hope. And it's not your ability to, to stuff it, nor is it your ability to handle it, nor is it your ability to, to power through it. It's grace, the grace and mercy of God. And so these gifts to the church, therefore, it's not so much about how wise they are, how smart they are, how accomplished they are. It's about how much do they know grace. And therefore, it's about the character they have. 
that character that, 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 that accepts grace and breathes grace. And that's why Paul, in talking to, the, to Timothy about helping the church to be a proper New Testament church in that sense, talks, when he talks about the leadership in the church, he talks about the character that, that those leaders need to have, right? But he lists off here several gifts to the church as as gifts. Notice what he says here. He says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So I just want to explore here how these are gifts. The, the first two, apostles and prophets, he's already referred to as the foundation of the church, right? In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so you have this, this foundation from Paul's perspective of that, that these men have laid a foundation to the church. What is that foundation? It's ultimately the word of God. The, the apostles and prophets gave to us the word of God and it was uh, confirmed that this was the word of God by the ministry of miracles that God gave the apostles and prophets. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says it, says it this way. He says, how should we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Like we've, what is what we received as, as mercy and grace from God? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. He's saying here, look, look, the, the, the message that the, the apostles and prophets had was confirmed by the miracles that they performed. You knew it was from God because of the miracles, but also that it was attested, they were connected, connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament, putting it all together and saying, this is from God. Another passage that talks about this is in 1 Corinthians 13. Where it says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. All three gifts of the Spirit, but they're all revelatory gifts. That is, they reveal God's word to us, right? He says, these are going to pass away, but love never ends. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. They didn't have the full New Testament. When Paul, even Paul was writing 1 Corinthians, they didn't have the whole thing yet. So it's, it's, it's partial, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. He's saying the, the prophecies, the, 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 the tongue speaking, the, the miracles would happen, would fall away. Not that, again, not that God doesn't do miracles, but, but the gifts through specific people, like this guy's a healer or this guy is a prophet, that those pass away. Why? Because we have the word of God. And he even says here, right, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Just like in the passage here, he's talking about maturing, becoming an adult. And part of the foundation of the apostles and prophets is to, is to make the, the church an adult in grace, to understand how God's grace flows and works and provides and so we have, that's why we have Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and First and Second Thessalonians and First and Second Timothy and Titus and Philemon and Hebrews and James and First and Second and Third John and Jude and Revelation. Why? All of these books are help us to help us to mature in grace, to understand what we, we read about in, in the Gospels and what Jesus' life did for us 
is, is we need to understand what it means. <laughs> and there's a lot that it means, and so we have a lot of books to help us to think it through. So he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. He's saying, move away from focusing on the gifts as sensational and move toward love. Paul says this also in, in 1 Corinthians 3, according to the grace of God given to me like a master builder, skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For, for no one can, one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Again, so the apostles and prophets are, are laying a foundation. And if, if those men experienced more suffering than the average person as well, right? Most of them were martyred. Except for John, who was exiled, according to tradition, right? These men suffered so that people could experience grace through the Word of God. And that's why we base our ministry on the Word of God it is what we need. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. This is a gift to the church. The, the men and, and some women, as we'll see, who are gifted to the church to help the church to mature in grace. And part of the gift is their suffering that they go through to help us to see that grace is sufficient. So also, notice what goes on there. And so you have the foundation that's laid, the apostles and prophets, but then, we're not ready for that yet, but then notice what it says here, the, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Now, the list in the Greek, which is it's hard to understand a little bit, is, is the evangelists are separate. Then the pastors and teachers is kind of a, some of your translations might have it hyphenated, in fact, because there's, it's not a separate grouping in, like in English where we go, you know, A, B, and C, right? So here Paul, in a sense, says it's B and C are together, okay? So it's pastor teachers. That is, you, you understand, or shepherd teachers, right? That the idea is, is that they shepherd by teaching and they teach by shepherding. They, they, these two functions go together to equip the church in grace. So first of all, the missionaries, you know, we're going to celebrate this evening missionaries as a gift to our church, George and Dottie Hatfield, who came in as missionaries to help us to reach international students. And missionaries are those people that are gifts to the church to say, hey, look beyond your four walls, so to speak. Look beyond the needs that you have and, and see, see the people that aren't here yet. <laughs> see the people that need God's love. See the people that need God's grace. Do you have a heart for them? Do you, do you love them? Or are you like, well, somebody else will take care of them. Missionaries give others a heart for you, those not yet in the church, and they display that by living that out. 
and how they interact with others. They show how grace is not just for you. I was, and missionaries often have this kind of, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging function, right? Because missionaries see beyond sometimes what we all see. Like, for instance, I was reading somewhere that Franklin Graham, who is, definitely has that heart for missions, right? He was being challenged by people because he had challenged the church to pray for Putin, right? To pray for someone who's setting off alarm bells all over the world with how he's, how he's setting things up, right? And what he seems to be wanting to do. He's saying, pray for this guy. He needs God's grace too. Wait a second. Wait a second. Why does, what do you mean he needs God's grace? I hope God punished. No, no, wait. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers. And missionaries help us to see that. Because we need to see that at times. And so they, they give their lives. They go to places that the rest of us often can't go. Why? Because they have a heart for those who have not heard. Not only that, but then you have the gift, in a sense, to the church to help the church. And the shepherds and teachers are more focused on the, not the people outside the walls, but the people inside the walls. And Paul challenges them to do the work of an evangelist, it's true, but, but they're there to equip the church, to, to shepherd the church, to care for the church, to, to lift the church up and, and, and guide the church. And these people are given in order to lift up, to carry, to be concerned, to walk, to warn. And so you have these, these in a sense, four groups of people, the apostles and prophets, the missionaries, the pastors and teachers, and they are given to the church to give the word of God to the church, and then to help the church live out the word of God in grace. And I just want to point out here that in that sense, they are recognized. This is not, how, how, does this, how do these people come? And this isn't specifically from the text here in Ephesians, but it's in a sense implied by the text. Because how do we know who these people are? And the fact is that they're recognized in Acts chapter 13, it says, Now there was in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a long, lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, frankly, just reading this list, you, you should view this as like a, you know, this, these guys are, I mean, if you were looking for a team of, of leaders in the church, this is an amazing team. You got people from, if you're trying to reach Jews and Gentiles, they're from all over the empire together, you know, with people with status, people that don't have a lot of status, people that, that, are, that ha can put things together, and Jews from one side, Gentiles from another side, all coming together. Like, man, the place, the place to be was Antioch, you know what I mean? That was the place to be if you wanted to be at the cutting edge of what God was doing. And, and, God's, and God's like, nope, nope, breaking up this team. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Again, this is the Holy Spirit working through the congregation, in the congregation, to say, hey, there's a person here, these two people here, that I want to use for a different task than what they're doing now. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. 
And so you get the idea here that, that again, the, God works through the congregation and the Spirit working in the congregation to say, hey, let's, let's send these men to do what God wants them to do. And Acts chapter 14, on the way back from that first missionary journey, says when they reached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening this strengthening the souls of disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. There's just a reminder about suffering, right? And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, and this word for appointed is an interesting word. It's the the word in Greek for voting. And so you get the idea that the, the, the apostles came in and they were like, church, who amongst you is, is, is qualified to, to lead, to be a shepherd, a teacher, a missionary? Who, who can help this church to continue to do what God wants them to do? And, and the church would say, these are the people we think, and then the apostles would lay their hands on them. So it's kind of this joint uh, congregation, leadership coming together to say these are the men that God has, we are recognizing that God has given as gifts to the church. And so, oops, I went the wrong way there. And so you have this, just this reminder, right, of, of, of what God is doing. Again, Second, Second Timothy, right? You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's saying, Timothy, get involved in developing some, some young men to replace you, to come in and, and to help that process. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It takes work. It takes effort, but it's worth doing. I'm going to skip this and just go on to the last point here then. Oops. Uh, Okay. Which is they are focused. They are focused. What are they doing? What are are the missionaries? We we understand what the apostles and prophets did. They gave us the word of God. What are the missionaries and apostles and the pastors and teachers, what are they doing? They are focused on what? Well, first of all, from a negative perspective, on not everything. If they're people, they're limited, right? They can't do everything. In some some ways, they can't even do their strengths. This is what one of the things I learned as a pastor in some ways is, okay, I, I love to help people, right? If, if I have if, uh, one of my spiritual gifts is the gift of helps, I, I love to help people. You know, hey, you have a need, boom. And I can, but that's not always what the church needs. And, and one of the things you learn as you, as you mature in ministry, as you think about, okay, what, grace is not about my strengths. <laughs> it's about what God wants to do in a situation. Grace is not about me bringing my strengths to the table. Grace is about me listening to what God wants to do and, and following him. Because it's about grace. It's not about me. And that's just a key point in, in, in this process. Is, is you, stop, you stop focusing on yourself. You stop fo- start focusing on what is good for the church. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4 puts it this way. Therefore, having this ministry, I'll get to that in just a second. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone conscious in the sight of God. 
Philippians 2 puts it this way. Paul talking about Timothy as a pastor. He says, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Basically saying Timothy wasn't concerned about his own interests. So what are they concerned about? Well, one of the key things they're concerned about is, is helping make sure that we don't manipulate people. Right? He just said it in 2 Corinthians 4. And it refers, the same idea is here in the passage, right? Because what is the goal of equipping the church to do the work of the ministry? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. One of the things that the church has to, 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 to mature in grace is they have to move away from being manipulated by the law. And in, in Galatians, this is very clear, right? In Galatians chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Just, just, a, just a side note here, we'll get to this next week as well. That, that phrase, telling you the truth, is the same, it's the same word in Greek, and it's only used twice in the New Testament. One time it's here in Galatians chapter 4. The other time, Ephesians chapter 4, where it says, it's translated speaking the truth in love. It's the same word, okay? And it's interesting, it's in both contexts where you're talking about manipulation or trying to not manipulate people, right? He says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. He's saying that the Judaizers come in and say like, oh, it's, it's awesome that you're Christians. It's awesome that you're a part of us. But then what do they do? He says, they want to shut you out that you make, make much of them. What are, they, what are the Judaizers coming in? They're saying, hey, to, to, be a, to be a real Christian, you need to become a Jew. <laughs> To be, to be a, a, one that's really accepted by God and really used by God, you, you've got to be circumcised and you've got to follow the law and you've got to keep the Sabbath and you've got to do all these things. And, and he's like, Paul's like, they're manipulating you. They're making much of you initially, flattering you with words. And he goes on to say, it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose and not only I'm one present you. It's good to encourage people and praise people say i'm glad that you're here but then turn around and say but you you only really belong if is manipulation and they're using the law to manipulate the gentiles in the church to not focus on grace and this is the the age-old problem of kind of quote religion right when we become Christians, we're not in a religion. We're in a relationship with the God of the universe. We have not been manipulated. We have been loved. We have been served. We have been given grace. And law comes in and says, hey, if you want to be accepted, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And the law is, is good. It tells us when we're doing things that are harmful to our relationship with God. It would destroy our relationship with God. But it's not the answer for how to restore our relationship with God. That comes through Jesus Christ, right? What he's done for us on the cross. The, the gift of forgiveness and mercy through his death. Some questions for you when you think about this. Because we're all, we're all tempted to manipulate through law 
instead of living in grace. We're all tempted to manipulate through law except living and instead of living in through grace. What do you do when you fail? What do you do when you fail? <laughs> Sometimes you use the law to beat yourself up, right? And be like, oh, you're an idiot. You're, you're a stupid person. What's wrong with you? Well, you say, well, I'm just trying to get myself to be better. God loves you. <laughs> and it's good to confess sin. But you stand in grace. You're accepted by God. You're redeemed. We don't use the law to beat ourselves up. We are children of God. We use the law to confess sin. What do you do when you want to succeed? Sometimes we, we jump on other people and like, well, hey, if I would succeed, except so-and-so did this, and so-and-so did that, and, and I'm, I'm, it's not my fault. You know what I mean? Rather than living in grace and being like, yeah, I, yes, it didn't go the way I wanted it to, but God's grace even superintends my failures. It even, even when other people failure, fail and it affects me, yet I live in grace and I can walk in grace and I can show love and mercy rather than judgment and criticism. What do you do when you want to belong? Do you like the Jews and set up a false standard that says, hey, God doesn't accept you if you don't do this because I do this. I do this, so, so if you do what I do, then you belong, right? In 3 John 9, John has to remind the church, he's like, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. There are people who come into the church and, and say, you don't belong unless you do what I tell you to do. You don't belong unless this is what should happen. And even here in 3 John, John has to write to them saying, no, don't pay attention to this kind of guy. You walk in grace. You are accepted by the grace of God. You belong when you trust in Jesus. This is why these men are given to the church. Because we struggle with grace. We manipulate through law. And we don't live and walk in grace. Can I just, I ran across this, yeah, I ran across this cartoon. This is uh, kind of a, a line of pastors here. You can see their Bibles in their hands. And then, obviously, this is Jesus. And it says, the difference between me and you is you use scripture to determine what love means and I use love to determine what scripture means. That's manipulative. Why? Because love and scripture are not against one another. <laughs> they go together. The God of love gave us his word. And yes, sometimes his word says, you sin, you're facing God's judgment. That's not manipulative, that's just true. And it's loving to say when you face destruction because you're going the wrong direction. If you're running off of a cliff, someone should tell you. That's love. That's manipulation. And we see it in our world. People are manipulating all the time, trying to say what's true, 
get on my soapbox here a little bit, all right? <laughs> News feeds. They just manipulate you without you even knowing it. Why? Because they, the algorithms are designed to just have you hear whatever you want to hear <laughs> and just get a little bit more of it. And the only place you can guard yourself from manipulation is by being here, by being in the Word of God. This is what was given to us. The apostles suffered for it. They died for it so that you could know that God loves you and that you walk in grace and you know what's true and you know what's wrong and you know how to get right and you know how to stay right. This is what you need, not your newsfeed. You need to walk in grace. You need to live in grace. And if you're not in the word, you're missing out on grace. Don't be manipulated by idiocy that divides you love from scripture. That is wrong and destructive. Of my soapbox for right now, all right? <laughs> so, these people I just want to, what is their aim? And Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.5, he says this. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. It is about love, but it's about love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Why? Because we walk in grace. We live in grace. It's not about our performance. It's not about what I can bring to the table. It's about what God's done for me and how I can share that with others. Do you know the grace of God in your life? Do you know he loves you? Paul has written this book to say, you are chosen by God from the foundation of the world. He had a plan to bring you to himself. He, he planned to adopt you into his family. You are a child of God, and not just a child, but an heir. You have an inheritance that is under, just protected for you. You are redeemed. The mistakes you've made and the mistakes you will make, God's grace is going to superintend over those and use those to continue to draw you to himself and to do to do what he wants in different situations, to draw others to himself. So walk in grace. So what's, I've got to end it here, unfortunately. I could keep going with it. But here's the, the main application that I would encourage you to do out of what I've just said so far this morning, and that's to pray. To pray for your pastors and missionaries. Pray for them. Why? Because they do suffer. <laughs> it's part of what God has planned for them. But they do suffer. And you should pray for them that, that suffering doesn't create bitterness in their hearts. They become jaded. They become cynical. Rather than experiencing more and more of the love and grace of God. Also, especially pray for your missionaries. Missionaries are the people in the world that they see one side of COVID, the debate, and the other side of the COVID debate, and they're trying to sell both sides. These people aren't your enemy. <laughs> and that can be tough. 
that can be difficult because they're looking beyond the categories that men put on one another. So pray for your missionaries. Pray for your pastors that they would know the grace of God, that they would live in the grace of God, and they would not be manipulative, but they would live out grace. And so that you can follow their example of grace. You can live out their example of grace. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about him. He is creating a new people from every tribe and tongue and nation that one day he is going to live amongst and we are going to be his people and, and he is going to be our God and we are going to live with him forever. And we're going to have new bodies and we're going to sing praises to him and we're going to know one another and walk together with one another and we're going to know the grace of God forever. As Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, right? He has this plan to show the exceeding riches of his grace in the coming ages. <laughs> like, we're going to experience grace upon grace upon grace upon grace for infinity. Why? Because we have an infinite God, even though we are limited. So can you walk in grace? Can you know grace? And seek not to be manipulated by the law, but to know the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the pastors that I had. Men who focused on the word of God as the sole and sufficient rule of faith and practice. It's what we need to know your grace. And Lord, it is, it's challenging at times because we all are tempted to manipulate, to hold up standards and say, you don't measure up and therefore I'm, I've got nothing to do with you. Or you better do something or just because we want, we want what we want in a situation and we don't want to live in grace, to walk in grace. Why? Because you have won the victory for us already in Jesus Christ. He has conquered sin. He has conquered death. And we receive his grace. Help us to remember that. Help us to rejoice in that. Help us to walk in that. In your son's name we pray. Amen.